radio listening audience. This is the Deacon's Roundtable coming to you from beautiful Libertyville, Illinois, broadcasting from Antioch, Illinois, on WSFI 88.5 FM. I am here with Deacon Mike Alandi from St. Mary the Annunciation and Deacon Dave Egan from the Village of Victory Lakes and our vicar for the Archdiocese of Chicago of Deacons, uh, Richard Hudzik, and I am Greg Webster from St. Raphael the Archangel in Old Mill Creek, Illinois. Uh, you know, the first thing we, we have to celebrate is the 50th uh, anniversary of the, uh, the uh, bringing back the diaconate in, in to, to the world, and I really expected that Deacon Hudzik would have a nice big plate of beignets here for us after he was in New Orleans for a week, and I, they must have been left in his car. Are, are they are they coming up, or where, where are the beignets? I have a couple of comments. <laughs> <laughs> First is every time you pound the desk here, I think that gets picked up by the uh, by the sound system, so stop banging on the table. Well, I'm passionate about beignets. Stop beating. <laughs> it was, uh, I, I did just come back from the celebration in New Orleans. There were 2,800 deacons and wives, a mm -hmm. uh, huge crowd. Uh, commemorating the, the restoration of the permanent diaconate. Uh, Cardinal Tobin was there. Uh, he, op he opened up. Uh, Cardinal DiNardo closed it. Uh, Bishop uh, Sean McKnight was there, who was formerly was on the staff of the USCCB uh, in the diaconate uh, world. That was one of his, uh, one of his portfolios. Um, great, uh, great fellowship, uh, some, good, some good learning, and uh, one of the takeaways that I had uh, was really gratifying to me was that uh, two things. One is that Chicago, the Archdiocese of Chicago, is immensely blessed by the resources that it has to do what we do uh, in, the, in diaconate formation and the life of the diaconate. And WSFI Catholic Radio 88.5 FM on your dial. Is part of that as well. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. The other piece was is that in talking and listening to people talk about best practices, um, the Archdiocese of Chicago's diaconate, I, I'm not going to claim that we have 100% compliance with best practices, but at least they weren't things that we'd never heard of before. Um, so we, we aim uh, in that direction uh, for what's being touted as, as the best practice. So, Are we still the biggest? We are still the biggest, and we are the baddest. So did you get the best seat in the house because <laughs> I, you were there in I, front row? I <laughs> did not. Ah, no. you know. No, no. No. You weren't in the back row, were you? No, it was it was uh, as I say, huge huge place. We're going to have mass at the cathedral. We're too big for the cathedral. When you have a bunch of deacons together, is it like a Sunday parish where it fills up from the back going to the front? Or no, it it, uh, it filled up from whichever was people parked as they came in the door. So you had to climb over people to uh, get to the farther seats. Uh, well, <laughs> well, maybe next month we'll have the beignets. So yeah, we're maybe. Looking forward to that. Well, I'm glad you're back and. Uh, um, glad Mike Alandi and the boys were taking care of the diocese while you were gone. Absolutely. <laughs> um, speaking of Mike Alandi, we're going to start with a prayer as we always do. Mike, would you like to lead us, please? Yes, let's do that. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Uh, this Sunday, uh, Jesus multiplied the loaves of bread uh, to feed uh, the 5,000. I feel that the number of deacons today is another miracle of the multiplication of uh, his shepherds. And I feel also that our discussions here, we multiply okay, uh, the people who hear okay, uh, the, the messages that uh, we're going to discuss today, especially on social justice. And so, Lord, we raise up all these to you in thanksgiving and praise. All this we pray through Christ our Lord. 
Amen. So as you mentioned, we're, our topic today, we like to do lots of different things here on the show, is uh, Catholic social teaching. And uh, thank you, Mike, for bringing up the, the, the uh, distribution of bread. It kind of reminds me of the beignets that uh, Deacon Huzzard <laughs> didn't bring. But uh, we'll let that go for now and uh, let Dave introduce us to our topic. I'm afraid. <laughs> <laughs> so today we're going to be talking about the, um, the church social teachings and that it's a very rich treasure and wisdom about how to build a just society in the lives and holiness and the challenges of living in this modern society, of what it really means to be Catholic on some of the different aspects of not just uh, going to church, but to living out those values in the world. And so there are a very long history of social teaching, and it's come from uh, the papacy, uh, encyclicals, uh, and just general teachings of the church. And it really started actually 2,000 years ago and all based on uh, scripture as to what we're called to do uh, following Jesus' actions. So um, I'd like to start off, I guess, generally with the, for people to understand that this is an essential part of our faith. It is how we act in these concrete situations that the church has said that these are the values that you must put in the forefront the understanding and probably the first and most important one is the life and dignity of the human person and the church proclaims that the human life is sacred and the dignity of the human person is the foundation for the moral vision of society and this encompasses many different things i mean um, probably the two biggest ones that are most familiar to people are abortion and euthanasia. And those are direct attacks on in our society on the person. And it's also affected by things like uh, cloning, uh, embryonic cell, cell research, stem cell research, you know, depending on when you, where you get your cells. And one of the probably more controversial ones um, that a lot of people don't understand is that the use of the death penalty is also an affront to the life and dignity of the human person. And these, all of these things are going towards the same direction, that human life is precious and must be preserved at all costs. Um, you know, this is one of the, the, I think, some of the coolest things about teaching I mean this also comes up in bioethics where all our, our bioethics foundation as you said is based on dignity dignity of a human person that comes from Genesis and Mayago day and and, and 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 being made in the image of God and it, it was always interesting to me that people take this as a new concept I mean this is this is fundamental to our faith Catholic social teaching is not something new it's fundamentals that I don't think we've stressed effectively but it's certainly these are not new teachings. But but any time that we talk about the ethical directives and and uh, the first thing I point out, it's about dignity. And people look back. What do you mean it's about dignity? Yeah, it's not about hardline theology and all those other things. It's about dignity first and foremost. Dignity of, of, of everyone, and and seeing Jesus in everyone else besides yourself, and how fundamental that is. But why is that such a a novel concept to people? Maybe the question that comes to my mind is 
did Jesus ever address social justice? If you oh. go back to scriptures, where exactly, I know he did, but where exactly was Jesus addressing the poor, the lame, the, the naked? That sounds familiar to me. Uh, I, think, I think to remember a little bit in Matthew, uh, actually Matthew chapter 25, yeah. and I'm going by memory verses like 32 to 41 for the end of the world. And it's yeah. uh, actually one of my favorite gospel passages, as a matter yeah. of fact. So it is. It, it goes and back. Ma- it's, it goes back to scripture. And I would actually even say that it goes back even further um, to the Old Testament. When, uh, for example, when Jesus was in the synagogue teaching, he pulled up the um, in the Torah that the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to bring glad tidings to the poor liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind and to let the oppressed grow free. Um, go, go farther back to the book of Genesis that uh, God created this and saw that it was, it was good, good. You know, so uh, it's, it's, it's beyond fundamental. It's, uh, yeah. Well, but this isn't, I mean, Francis didn't come up with this. He, he may have articulated it. Mm-hmm. Doctor Great English there articulated it a little bit differently, but but certainly Francis is in line with all his predecessors in this. And but maybe maybe we got hijacked by the media and things like that. But but the church has always been in the forefront of this. I think the problem is is that the parishes need to remember to be in the forefront from this because we don't think about that as much. We need to be, you know, caring for the poor and recognizing their their dignity is not just dropping a, a can of soup off for the soup kitchen, right? It, well, it, and, and it, that's and actually it, a yeah. great distinction. So one is charity. Dropping the can of soup off is charity. Asking the question, why is this person have to be on food stamps if they're working full time? Describe the family. That's the issue of social justice, and that's a, actually a different one later on on things that we'll be going through. But you'll elaborate on that a little bit more later. Right? Oh, very yeah. much so. Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, so one of the other things under the life and dignity of the human person is something that um, it's probably more so for our leaders, but it's definitely is something to be bringing up that nations must protect the right of life by finding increasingly effective means to prevent conflicts and resolve them by peaceful means. Negotiations and working through issues versus pressing buttons and threatening to press buttons is uh, not the way to go. Or having um, the genocide in some of the nations. That is not respecting you know, human dignity. And so... Th- you're right. It's an absolutely fundamental concept that you have to protect life at all costs whenever possible. And, and Greg, you mentioned Francis, and you were talking about Pope Francis. This is not a, a creation of, of Pope Francis by any stretch of the imagination. But you mentioned Francis, and I've been... Uh, uh, Pick any Francis you want. Uh, let's take Francis <laughs> of Assisi, <laughs> in that um, the view of... Uh, been doing some reading the past few days for for another another assignment that I have, but um, the degree to which creation and the incarnation are inextricably tied together, that in the Franciscan tradition, Franciscan intellectual tradition, is that creation is seen as the platform for the incarnation, that God created nothing that is extraneous is trivial it certainly did not create human beings as just 
an afterthought, but that all of creation is imbued with this, with this dignity. Um, it's, it's, it's what permits and enables the incarnation. We see that played out specifically when we get further on with the care for God's creation, but it also it comes into play with um, just the dignity of the human person. There is no, you know, God doesn't make junk is the old, the old line. Um, so... So it's just, I said, I think from that principle of the life and dignity of the human person, all the other Catholic social teachings actually come from that. Absolutely. Um, so, and so there are quite a few people that have a some difficulties with that, but that is something to, to work through, you know, talking to other people in the church, just like if you needed like guidance of pastors or deacons or or are other people who follow these traditions understand them, but that is probably the, the most key element of the Catholic social teachings. I think one last stress before we move on is that this dignity cannot be taken away. It's, it, you, you can't lose this dignity because it was given from God, not from any of us, and, and that, uh, that no matter where someone is, that dignity is there and you, and you can't you can't bargain it away either you you cannot really surrender it i mean people would want to navigate this to say well if i freely surrender my dignity i'm thinking of you know the the the, the terrible shame but the, the phrase of sex workers is that um that well these folks have voluntarily surrendered their dignity in exchange for for, for monetary consideration you cannot you cannot change who the human person is, and that is a, di a dignified creature of God. So the market doesn't doesn't come to bear to make you give up what what is yours. Yeah. No, great point, absolutely great. Or point. a handicap, or anything right, else. Right, right, yeah. right. So the second one that um, of the seven themes is the call to family, community, and participation. Um, and it's saying that the person is not only sacred, but also is social. And how we organize society from everything from economics to politics and policy also directly affects the human dignity and the capacity of individuals to grow. And so that we are social beings, all of these institutions within society are there to help the person grow and to become all that he or she can be to participate in society and make society better. And one of the more common things that is under attack nowadays but is fundamental to uh, community is marriage and the family and how we treat that relationship and the respect for that relationship those when those go, those undermine society, that it becomes individuals versus the common good of just that local part. And the all people also have the right to participate in society, uh, seeking the common good for all. And one of the biggest groups that seems to be a lot of times not involved in these conversations are the poor and the vulnerable. They're the ones that are missing the voice. And so part of the call for the Catholic social teaching is to make sure that the poor and the vulnerable have a voice and actually that has a preference for them 
because otherwise they would be the ones completely left out of our society. Leave no one behind. You know, this is, this is so fundamental. And again, uh, as a corollary to the life and dignity of the human person, but what is one of our constituents' needs, desires, yearnings, but, but to belong to, and by belonging, thriving, to be uh, in a web of, of, of relationships? You're not flourishing as a human person without connection to somebody. You know, we have this this atomized society where we're each on our own thing. You know, I listen to my own Pandora channel, and you listen to your channel, and we don't need to we don't need to put up with each other's music because we've got you know we got our own channel. Um, this the the Ayn Rand notion of every man for himself um, is is not consistent. I don't think with this. Uh, with this principle of Catholic social teaching. But this this is a, a nice academic description of it. What's it mean to Greg sitting in the pew in Old Mill Creek at the, at the 11 o'clock mass? I mean, what is, to, to, to talk about, you know, emphasis on family and everything, how do we, what does it mean to the guy in the pew? I mean, how, how, let's drill this down to the, to what do I do with this? What does this mean I have to do differently? What does this mean, I, where's the action being called? I mean, to well, say, yeah, I gotta love somebody. Yep, you know, it's kind of, way out there let's well, for the well the first aspect of that you sitting alone in the pew you're there first of all within com- community of that you're gathered with you are also in communion with every single other mass that's going on in the world that's the point of it together that it is a world community that is celebrating and every single mass and is related to every other one in the world at that time and so within community, so you have your religious community, but there's also your community um, that you take from the church and bring outside the church. You bring the gifts of the altar back out to the world. And so your neighbor who is atheist, they deserve the exact same respect, human dignity as everybody else in the church. And in the in that parish context, you know that's, that's that's why we have coffee after mass. You know, coffee and donuts thing. It's to build community. It seems, on the one hand, trivial, but not so much for somebody who actually yearns for, um, who otherwise doesn't have a connection with with people. It's a small step, but I think to be conscious. And I, I think you ask a good cr- question, Greg. To what do we do to consciously nurture um, community where where we are? Uh, how do we nurture those kinds of, uh, any kind of connection? Um, you're right. Don't be abstract about it. How, how about get up out of the pew and go say hi to somebody? You know, yeah. I, I mean, that's, I mean, it's really, well, it's, it's what are we going to do? Get up into your community and, and you know, don't live in isolation that, that we're all in this together. You know, the, the, the apostles d- didn't have an idea of a abstract, just me type of idea. It was a community face of looking for it. I'm sure that I'm not the only one who has had this experience, but there have been many parishioners that have uh, come to visit a church, and after they found how welcoming the community was, especially if they needed some assistance, when the community just rallied around them and said, we will help you, they became full members. You know, There were some that were non-Catholic and went through the RCA program and said, anybody who is this welcoming of a community, I want to belong to this. There's something well, special here. One of the new things our pastor, Father Jerry Jacobs, introduced 
was at the beginning of Mass, okay, that everybody introduces themselves to their neighbors. We never had that before. And uh, when you neighbors see... There that right Sunday, there, neighbors. Right there, okay. right there at the, uh, at the mass, okay. in the pew. And you find out, oh, my neighbor's here. I, I, I never noticed him before. Okay, hey, hi, hello, etc. So we, we have a few seconds to do that. But even those few seconds are precious. And also, if we go back to uh, St. Paul, okay, to the Ephesians, he was saying, he was calling for unity. I mean, if you look at the second reading yesterday, that's all it's saying. Hey, calling for family let's bear with one another with love let's be humble let's be participative i think this one was based on that particular reading i don't know how it happened but i'm just guessing yeah. i can see the connection yeah no, that, especially in those yeah. letters of the ephesians that was what paul's aspect was was bringing the community together yeah. well we only have a uh, a few more seconds till the end of this so how about a wsc fields quote I, I wouldn't want to belong to any club that would have me as a member. That's Groucho. <laughs> oh, Groucho? Groucho. Groucho. We'll no. end on Groucho, though, because <laughs> why not? This is WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio. We're listening to the Deacon's Roundtable, and we'll be back after this short break. This is Joe Scheidler in Chicago. Want to learn some Latin? Well, here are three simple words that say it all. Ora et labora. That's the motto of the Benedictines, and that means pray and work. Pray for the 4,000 babies who will be cruelly killed in legal abortions today in American cities alone. But also work to end abortion. Pray and work. How do you work? Well, come out to an abortion clinic near you. Pray there but also talk to the women going in. Offer them help. If you want to know how, give us a call. We're the Pro-Life Action League in Chicago. Call us at 773-777-2900. That's 773-777-2900. Or contact us at prolifeaction.org. Hello, I'm Bill Wennington from the Church of St. Mary's and the Chicago Bulls. I, I believe Catholic Radio is important for all of us out there listening to help us through days when maybe our faith is being challenged by many different obstacles that are put in our way. And it's a chance to reflect and just think and hear stories from other people that maybe are going through the exact same issues that we are going through and how they have struggled and how they are getting through their problems today. WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio is committed to bringing quality Catholic programs to our local community. We only can do that with your financial support. Take a moment now to donate online at wsfiradio.org or mail your tax-deductible donation to WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio, P.O. Box 885, Libertyville, Illinois 60048. That's WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio, P.O. Box 885, Libertyville, Illinois 60048. Donations of any amount are greatly appreciated.
we should bring it up at the end. And we're back. Thank you for joining us on the Deacons Roundtable at WSFI 88.5 on your FM dial, WSFI Catholic Radio on the Internet. And Deacon Dave Egan from the Victory Lakes is leading us on a discussion on Catholic social teaching. All right, so earlier in the program we had the, uh, the two big ones, the life and the dignity of the human person and call to family, community, and participation. And the third theme is the rights and responsibilities. And in the Catholic tradition teaches that human dignity can be protected and a healthy community can be achieved only if human rights are protected and responsibilities are met. So that every person has a fundamental right to life and a right to those things required for human decency. And corresponding to these rights and duties and responsibilities, we're responsible for one another, to our families, and to the larger society. So again, it's within community that all of the things that you're doing are based towards the greater good of the community, and that you have the right to have to life and for human decency. And can, so can I just say, gimme, gimme, gimme? Well, you can. But Am I consistent, then, with Catholic social teaching? <laughs> well, you, can, you can't Sometimes. say that. Deacon, Deacon Dave, this is an open question for you. Uh, absolutely not. That, why, why is that? Because you are responsible for the greater good of society. That, and even when it's only me, besides uh, hitting about 400 different sins, mm -hmm. um, how are you fulfilling your need for the greater good of the world. Um, and that is sort of paramount just generally in your life. I mean, well, I your life is, you're living your life for other people. Well, so if you give me $20, I'll give 10 to Marytown, and the world's better off. So why don't I, I'm, I'm have, to, have to side with our vicar here. So uh, you know, get the wallet but, out. <laughs> but we're, we're, not, we're not calling you then to the fullness of your human potential because you will feel better about yourself. You will be more readily flourishing if you reciprocate what's given to you. I think this is an invitation us yeah. to, to grow up and be to be adults, to, to be fully... You radical. You know, well, <laughs> well, I think it's actually, in a way, it sort of goes beyond that when you're saying, like, reciprocate. I would actually say you're supposed to give more. If you have the ability to give more of yourself then that's what you're called to do. Right. No. Yeah. You're right. It's not reciprocal. It's not a quid pro quo. Well, it's you give. You give if you give to the best of your abilities. Um, I mean, if you are phenomenal at doing something, you use that gift for the greater good. Um, one of the things that um, I have this I'll bring in a, a work um, situation that. Uh, the our vice president said, you know, I, I work in the pharmaceutical world, and he said, there's very few people that have the opportunity to do to trying to develop drugs to help other people, and that you have that opportunity, you have to do your best for the greatest gift of the world. You can't waste this opportunity 
when you can do so much good. And I think that's that principle is the exact same principle that is stated here is that you're called to do the greatest amount of good that you can for the greatest amount of people in the world. And how's how is that human right and right to life? How do the two of them tie in? You you made well, an awful big jump from right to life, which the question is when does that start? And also to So for example, right to, so right to life the, I think that's, thank you for bringing it up. That's actually sort of two different things. There's the physical right to life, and then there is the right to a decent life. So um, if you are a slave, you have the right, but are you having the, the right to live your life to the greatest potential? Deathly silence here in the studio. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> So when do I get my house in Lake Forest? Yeah. I mean, that's <laughs> when I earn so, it. <laughs> so, something tells me that there is interaction between rights of people and interaction between duties of people to each other. And I think there is that element of common good, okay, that sort of manages, okay, all these so that together as a community, okay, then we can make things happen. It cannot just be my right versus your right, but it has, has there to has to be our it has to be our right. Our common rights. rights. Yes. Yes. And it should contribute to our good, to our growth to as the, a group. Yeah, to the people. if each individual the growth of each individual, yeah. but then the growth of the community from yes. all the individuals. Moreover, I will not personally flourish if I do not in some sense participate in giving to someone, something else, to the community. I cannot live fully as a human without somehow engaging in the Paschal mystery. I've got to give in order to have life. And I think one of the things that I think would be a rather uh, a common occurrence is that usually when I give something, I get so much more in return beyond what I gave. Right. It just, right. and I think that's also a fundamental principle that's really sort of not so, stated, but it's a very common occurrence. So are we talking the the using your gift of talents and not burying mm. them in the backyard, or are we talking that love cannot be hoarded, we're go we have to go through us to others? So, yes. So both, both and all. So we're talking both of them at the same time, but it's really both elements which are equally important, yet they're unique ideas in terms of that, that we have to use the gifts that God gave us for, for the benefit of all and that the love that God gives us we can't hoard that, pack it away bury it, we have to we have to share it and take it out into the, into the world and I think when you do one the other one falls and some one of the church fathers somewhere along the line said uh, W.C. Fields uh, W.C. Fields <laughs> uh, never mind, no, the, that love is is itself diffusive that love abounds and overflows we, we it's not love if we're if we're holding on to it if we're trying to keep it contained now can we look at these as the same that if we are at a point point where we're able to to receive god's love and pass it out to others is that not a a consistent message of 
of participation and community and giving our love to others is that not life and dignity in the human person so we're really just building on on these common ideas that are not they're not ideas that's uh, that exist independent of each other they're all one great love of so god teaching i would submit that there's one theorem here if i've got my if i remember my geometry the first theorem is a life and dignity of the human person the rest of these are all corollaries to that I would agree with they that. flow from that. But I wanted to bring up something that you were just saying about, you know, passing the love. You can also measure that within concrete situations. So if I'm saying I'm passing the love of Jesus and, and just say, okay, have a great day, and I see you starving, and I'm about to have a feast, that's not share. I would argue that's not sharing the love, even though you may say that in words, your actions in that concrete situation are saying otherwise. And that's respecting that right to life. I mean, if you want to use the table and, and, and with Lazarus, I mean, that was sort of a classic example of that. I was going to, in my mind, when you're speaking, I was with the Good Samaritan. Right? You can't leave him in the ditch. You got to <laughs> go help him with him. Mm -hmm. Okay. So now we get to another the next principle um, which always raises a few eyebrows and uh, causes a couple of arguments is that's the option for the poor and the vulnerable so it has been said more than once that the basic moral test of, of how society is to be measured is how the most vulnerable members are faring and a society marred by deepening divisions between rich and poor, um, there has to be a fundamental option for the poor and vulnerable who don't have the opportunities that the rest of society has. It's society is truly measured about how people are treated, and especially the ones who don't have the options other people did. And if you look throughout the scriptures, that was a very constant theme yes. that Jesus had was the poor and the vulnerable. Um, you know, and for the, you know, even in Deuteronomy of saying of uh, don't take a cloak for payment and no user. Mm. You know, it has been fundamentally throughout the scriptures that the poor and the vulnerable are to be treated with dignity and if anything, they are to be given extra help so they can be full productive members of society. That's probably the biggest group that is not at the table when there's all of these discussions politically and otherwise. And Jesus was very emphatic. He said, the way we will be judged will be the way we dealt with the poor, the lame, the hungry, the widows, the orphans. We have to also remember that Catholic said, Catholic social teaching is more than just writing a check. It's understanding why these situations exist and how we can work to get rid of those situations. It's not a open, you know, write a check and keep walking the, away. The it's check, not a check. Writing the check is the easy part. Asking yeah. the questions of why these situations exist is the tough part, and then working to change them. That's a very difficult conversation because it quickly goes into politics. It quickly goes into biases and things that are going through there. How do you have this conversation? I mean, because we have several examples where well, we weren't going to talk about the Dan Ryan, but you don't, you know, do you shut down the Dan Ryan? Do you have a, 
the meeting? I mean, what, what, what? How do you have this conversation? Because you and I aren't going to agree on on helping the poor. Uh, every well, political no, party no, says you're helping the poor, but what? Well, what? You and I may disagree about methods in that concrete situation, but our bottom line is. Our goal is to help the poor and the vulnerable. And if that's not the underlying value of it, then we have to have some more discussions. Okay. And, and I would say, and let me uh, take a page from uh, uh, courses I took at, at Mundelein Seminary. The first step of any response to any situation, the first step is a step that we too often gloss over. We're, we're the first step is to gather facts, to, to familiarize yourself with what's going on, to ask more questions, to ask more questions, and, and re relentless in pursuit of who's there, what's hurting, what's wrong, and just to educate yourselves. And so this preferential option for the poor and vulnerable, beyond if it's, if it's going to be more than lip service, means that we have to invest some time ourselves into trying to come to grips with a particular situation that we're thinking about. We gotta find out what the facts are first. Like this Dan Ryan thing, you know, I don't live at 63rd and Stony. I don't know what that's like down there. But maybe if I gathered some facts about it, um, that would help illuminate for me decisions further down the chain of, of, of what to do. It requires, again, you know, it, this community, um, I need to be in community with, with people who are, who are suffering so that I can know the situation. But I would actually add, there's another step that goes beyond that besides gathering the facts, and that is especially within a crisis situation, that you alleviate the crisis first so that you minimize damage while you're gathering the facts. And in particular, I'll say with somebody, for example, um, so it's, some of the legislation dealing with, like, for example, uh, food stamps and things like that. If you have a family that is starving, you give them food to get rid of the immediate crisis and then start looking at the facts and asking some more difficult questions. But we have a responsibility to act. Oh, sure, sure, sure. But part of this, you know, after you've gathered the facts, you have to assess them. And we use the best of what we know, our social science, our physical science, our medical science, our science science. And what do these facts mean? And then we also have to ask, the next step is, what does our church teach us about this? And, and that's that's the level we're at right well, it's now. It's so much easier to have an opinion than an informed conscience, it's, it's, Richard. Yeah, what are we talking it's, about Yeah, here? it's so much easier just to you know, I can shoot, watch MSNBC and shoot get all from that. the hip. Yeah. But it requires... <laughs> An investment and a journey, and into a rightly formed conscience. Into a rightly formed conscience, and only then, at the end of that process, do you then decide, well, this is what I ought to do. You don't know until you've made that journey. That's beautiful. How are you going to get people to do it? Because I know we don't do that in 2018. We do it. You teach it again and again and again. Uh, we do it with our homilies. We do it in our own personal lives. You know, we're the, 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 the shorthand model is see, judge, act. We're really good about judging and acting, but we don't do enough seeing. Um, and I think it just in our own lives and these kinds of conversations here, just do it. Just do the work. Um, invest yourself. I mean, one well, of the things that just... I've done an awful lot of work with pads up here. And one of the things that 
always amazed me that if you actually sit down and talk to, generally I was in the male group, but you talk to these guys and you realize some of the skills and gifts that they have, um, but the rest of society looks down on them. And there happened to be never one guy who uh, has now graduated and has his own apartment. He was called Sticks. And I heard Sticks playing the piano one night. Well, actually, it was an early Saturday morning. And my God, are you good? And then hearing some of his stories and what has gone on. And now he's a practicing musician, you know, that somebody gave him opportunities, you know, but... That's the sort of thing of like working to say, okay, you have these skills. Let's let's see if we can but, do but to those, work on. Those those tend to be the easy ones. I mean, we've all been in business and we've been in the the room where they say, okay, everyone who wants to do a good job, raise your hand, and then you're in the meeting. Everyone raise their hand. Okay, everyone wants to do a good job, so we're gonna we're gonna say that we're gonna take that off the table and we're gonna move on and say, how can we do this? And you know the standard business practices, but reality is. I know lots of people who don't want to do a great job. They're going to raise their hand in that meeting, but they don't want to do a great job. And, and well, that's, that's that's where I think we have the challenge in the systems. Sticks, you know, there's a lot of sticks out there, but there's a lot of guys who just, you know. I mean, well, pa- so Paul addressed it in, in the Bible. If you're not going to work, tell those guys that, you know, they're going to be hungry. So so we have that going on at the same time. It's not at all this kumbaya, find the nice sticks, because we have a percentage of the guys well, who don't do so anything. What do you do with someone that has a disease of alcoholism or some other addiction? Do you just throw them away? Or even if they've gone through a program 10 times, you try and make an 11. Yeah, that, you never, yeah. ever give up. Yeah, and that, 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 That's that, an easy one. What about the, 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 in the news the other day? That, what about the sex, sex offender they just caught for the third time? I, with, as a father of three, I'm not willing to say, let's just give him another shot while my daughters are walking by. Well, no, society so, has a right to protect you know. himself. And and for the and, un, and for the unmotivated person, um, I mean exactly. that, that's an easy case the, yeah. with the sex offender. But for the unmotivated person, I would suggest that perhaps they're they're lacking some some component of their own of a, of a flourishing personality. And our task is maybe to to probe that. What's what, well, even self love? What what do we do to get you um, to to help yourself? One one of the things we did in this is back in back in college is somehow somehow the population of the students were kind of removed from poverty and one and, and and i was with the community development club and we said how do we get them to the poor that's a club okay and uh yeah in in our in our college okay. we call it community development club and we were up there on the hill okay where you have this beautiful jesuit institution and down there in the valley are people who live in cardboards and, and have no food. So we decided, you know what, why don't we take these guys who are interested in helping the poor, let's take them down the valley. Every Sunday we go down there and we just talk to the people. We find out what's happening. We go in there, you see the children running around, they have no food, they have no clothes. You look at the roofing, there is no roof. And that introduces them to that's our reality. That's right. our social right. reality. And what are we who have more maybe capacity or financial ability, what are we doing about this? And as students and later on as leaders of this country, what are we going to do about it? So I think the closer we take them to the poor, the better off they are. So when people ask me, what do I do when somebody approaches me in the car and asks for money? I said, 
give money. Okay? Why? Because when you give the money, you'll see their hands, their clothes, you'll smell their stench. Maybe it will touch your heart, and it will stay there. And then, I and then at the same time, okay, do something about it on the other side. And, and what about end. the guys that are taking that money and buying drugs? What about the people that are scamming everyone that they're not taking That's money? How do, you, how do we do that? Well, do we I do actually, that? I have a great story yeah. on that. There was this one professional golfer who won a tournament, and um, someone said that, oh, that there was this child that was dying, and he basically just gave the check to them. And after... A month or so, some reporters came back and said that, uh, you know, you were scammed, that th there was no child with leukemia. And he goes, there's no child with leukemia? Great. <laughs> no, you laugh, but that attitude of right. like. Yeah. Well, that's I do the same thing. I, yeah. I tell my kids, you know, give them the $5 because we don't, it doesn't make anything doesn't mean much to us, but it could mean the world to someone. And I think Mike's right. You have to learn to care, learn to let your window go down. I'm, mm -hmm. I was amazed as, as a Knight of Columbus in Old Mill Creek that we were doing the Tootsie Roll drives. And people I knew on the way to work, they, you know, instead of opening a window and saying good morning, they're you know, you know, looking down at the radio, looking away from you. And I'm like, that's not healthy. I don't care if you donate a dollar or not for the Tootsie Roll, but at least say good morning. You know, and, and that's, that's where a lot of that comes from. But... Um, and I think you're right that we need to learn to care, learn to give. But we also have to look at the reality is, is that, you know, maybe we should give gift cards instead of cash so that they can't go buy something with it or what's going on. But we do need to learn to care by all means. All right. one, of the, uh, one of the neuralgic parts of this uh, principle is that that merely an option suggests a preference. And that, that can rub against the green. Why would I prefer the poor and vulnerable, or the preferential option for the poor? Why would, why is it to be preferred? We want to ask ourselves. It's you know, it, there's that. I think that's part of that learning and that growth in our own compassion to, to get to that point. All right, we're coming up on a break at the Deacons Roundtable, WSFI Catholic Radio, 88. Point five on your FM dial. Stay with us. You can hurt. Li listen to us. Uh, listen to Deacon Day uh, Hudzik talk about Latin Club at Marion Catholic High School. That will be exciting. <laughs> WSFI local programming on demand, full episodes of Pro-Life Today, WSFI Spotlight, Healing the Whole Person, Bursting Forth in Sound, along with our novenas, prayers, and devotions are available on your mobile device or online. For iPhone and iPad users, open the already installed podcast app and search for WSFI. Then click subscribe. Android users need to visit the Google Play Store, download the Stitcher app, Create a free account, then search for WSFI. Add us to your favorites playlist by clicking the plus sign in the upper right-hand corner of the screen. The full archive of local shows is also available at WSFIRadio.org. Need help? Call us at 224-206-8455. That's 224-206-8455.
Want an example of a false sense of security? How about relying on the life insurance you get through work to pay for all of your final expenses? Do you have plans to retire someday? Or do you plan on working for that company for the rest of your life? The fact is, you may lose your life insurance when you leave a company. I'm Matt Tomlinson from Catholic Financial Life, and I invite you to share your hopes and dreams with me. To discuss your options for protecting your family, call me at 847-548-MATT. That's 847-548-6288. Products and services not available in all states. All right, we're back at the Deacon's Roundtable, and as promised, I'm going to ask Deacon, Deacon Richard about the Latin Club, because when I was in high school, any club that had a pretty girl, I would sign up for. Were there pretty girls in the Latin Club, or what, 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 was, the, what was the inspiration here? Uh, armor of Rumque Cano, Troy, Qui Prima, Saboris, Italian, Fado, Profugus, Lavina, Clevena. Okay, so no, you couldn't get any girls in the club for that. <laughs> we loved Cicero and Virgil and Julius Caesar. That's, that's what we were about. Uh, well, you know, and, and Catholic social teaching says we can't discriminate against you uh, for that, but okay. uh, we will pray for you. <laughs> we'll go back to uh, Deacon. Let me yes, mention sir. to you that our community development club attracted so many of the girls, okay? And we brought them down to the poor. And they started to look at uh -uh, all these things that we're doing that are not necessary, okay? <laughs> all right, so we're going to have to start moving on these because we still have a... Uh, Three ones to work on. Uh, we're so, doing good. the next one is the dignity of work and the rights of workers, and probably the most key thing with this part of social teaching is that the economy must serve people, not the other way around. Um, work is it's work is more than just to make a living. It's for you to participate in the world and the betterment of God's creation. And the dignity of workers to be protected when the basic rights of workers, they must be respected, the right to productive work for decent and fair wages, for the organization and joining unions if they want to, to private property and economic initiative. So that work is actually just it's more than just a means to support yourself it's for the greater good of society and if you're an employer you have the responsibility to make sure that you're a good enough business person so that people can have a decent living wage yes but certain jobs are still only worth certain amount of wages right you're not i mean you can't say that that well, working in the McDonald's down in the city does, you know, should take you to the point where, you know, that that was never meant to be a a job that would support a family of six, right? Well, other, I, I don't know about that. I mean, for example, in, um, I don't remember if it was Norway or Sweden, they raised the. Uh, wages of the workers at McDonald's to I believe it was like fifteen relative to fifteen dollars an hour in our country, and that did increase the uh, cost of of running the stores for the cost of the food. But they seem to be doing quite all right. Come on, you're not going to spend fifteen dollars for a quarter pounder. No, but you know, spending 
$15 per hour for your employee if that adds 50 cents to a quarter pounder? Yes, but I mean, if in the city of Chicago, there, there is a wage that, that is the market wage, which actually I think it was up around that number anyway. So why do we have to legislate this? Why not let the, the, the market legislate this? I mean, because if we're just going to artificially raise costs, everything is going to get more expensive, and then we got to raise wages again. So where's the cycle going to break on this? Because you're, because not only does the, the economic business owner have a, have to to take care of his people by all means, he has a right to stay in business, doesn't he? Well, here, well, here's where you get into the uh, the area of, of argumentation on Catholic social principles, among others. Uh, among other areas. But here I think what, what I would respond to you as is that there's a distinction between the policy implementation and the principle. We're all in favor of people not starving to death. We're all in favor of people receiving compensation for the, uh, for the work that they do. The policy implementation question is, do we legislate to guarantee a certain minimum or do we leave that to the political process or the market process? I think, I think everybody at the table here can agree that people need to be treated uh, to receive the agreed upon wage. The question is, do you, do you artificially alter that? Well, you could, I'll give you a different situation with that and use the McDonald's. I have some franchise, and I happen to have after expenses netting a million dollars a year. And I'm doing that by paying my people the minimum wage. Now, I would argue that that's not treating the workers with respect and dignity, that I could give them substantially more salary so they can have a much more dignified life, and I would still be more than sufficiently taken care of to uh, pay the different bills. And that may be, but the, the, the question we get to is, is do, you, do I, as the, the government, force you to, to change that, that labor structure, or are those people not free? If, if I've prohibited people from, from changing jobs, then uh, through some artificial means, then that's, that's something to be addressed. I think the other issue, we, you know, years ago, it's not quite so much anymore, but, but my Quiladoras on the, the border, uh, the southern side of the U.S.-Mexican border, People are uh, paid slave wages uh, in order to do manufacturing assembly, um, and you can say, "Well, that's you know that's the market. That's that's it's only worth twenty-five cents an hour." That doesn't make it right, um, and so our confusion, our difficulty is is when does uh, when does an outside agency impose uh, some order or some change on that on that free market. I mean, we we don't want people to be working for ten cents an hour. No, but and f as a corollary with that, if we already protect people um, via criminal law that you can't abuse someone, what's the inherent difference between that and paying wages that are substandard just because you can do it? No, I, I agree, it, but I, I don't know what the answer is. You've got the the, the famous case of Wilson Sporting Goods. Uh, in Haiti in the 1980s raised its, uh, was obliged to raise its, its hourly rate. So Wilson said, I'm sorry, but we're closing the shop and we're moving it to a place where it is legal. So, but I think, I think the comment you made before was, is, needs to be highlighted stronger. Catholic social teaching 
tells us we have to have the conversation. It doesn't tell us how to get there. The problem with Catholic social teaching in my lifetime, and I see it, is that people have hijacked Catholic social teaching to say, hey, it means this. Hey, it means, you know. God, that, God wants it this way. Yeah. So it, it's, it's one of those things I think we need to take a step back, like you suggest, that Catholic social teaching doesn't say this is the answer and the right system. Catholic social teaching does not advocate one economic system over another. They're, ac- they're advocating for the right of the dignity of the people living in in the in that in that economy and, and so i think as you said we, we it's, it's it puts the principles for us you have the conversation it's not going to say this is exactly how you right. intend to do You've it you got your pope saint uh, pope john paul's uh, centesimus annus about crit- that latin club again there right? the la- sorry <laughs> the uh never mind the uh both capitalism and, and socialism are to be critiqued neither is to be just yeah. swallowed uh, entirely so yeah you you not to, suspicious is the wrong word, but you be skeptical, be circumspect. You get involved in the in the, in the question. I'd actually just to make one fast quote. That's the uh, at the end of one of the commentaries in the bishops committee that there will be legitimate differences in debate over how these challenging moral principles are applied in the concrete situation. Differing prudential judgments on specifics cannot be allowed, however, to obscure the need for every Catholic to know and apply these principles in family, economic, and community life. Right. And I would Amen. S- and it's in its <laughs> conversational terrorism to say, if you don't agree with me, God hates you, or, or that God wants, I mean, but that's what, Greg, that's what you were speaking to, is that people wrap their policy arguments in saying that this is what God wants. This is the gospel. Well, uh, you may have a hotline to God. I don't. Yeah, right, right, right. But. So we only have a couple minutes to go. So I'm just going to do the two other ones. One is solidarity. heard before, especially with Pope John Paul II of solidarity. There's the global dimensions. We have one human family. And so what happens over in Europe, Africa, Russia, Australia, South America, I am also to be in tune with that and having respect for the human dignity across the world. It is not just, you know, my little place up here in northern Illinois. I am in solidarity with the world. And as a follow-up correlate with that is care for God's creation of the earth. All of us are responsible for this whole earth and every person on it. Because it's beautiful. It's beautiful, and it's our job to pass on God's gift to other people. All right, this is WSFI 88.5 Deacon's Roundtable. This is our faith. Talk it. Talk about it. Bring it out into the people. Live it. Amen. Stop banging. Amen. Amen.